be vulnerable to notice that you've got weaknesses admit what those weaknesses are to yourself first and then find someone to to make you a better version of yourself plug your weaknesses and leverage their strength the road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew and there are always big questions to overcome how are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets how do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. All right, so joining us today is a friend and partner that I can honestly say is one of a kind. From the 11 Bravo, which is infantry for us civilians, to 25 years of entrepreneurship, he's been known to fight hard and move fast. And when he's not building tech companies, including two exits in the last couple of years alone, you'll find him tinkering around with his 73 Chevy Nova <laughs> until the late hours of the night and sometimes just messing around in the metaverse just for the hell of it. In today's discussion, we're going to shine the spotlight on his current enterprise SaaS company and the secrets to how he's been able to build and grow multiple companies from the dirt to the exit. And without further ado, CEO and founder of Thumbstopper, Matt Brown, welcome to the dirt. Thank you, Jim. That was very flattering. I appreciate that intro. I don't know that I deserve all that, but the most important part of that intro, it's a 1971 Nova. Ah. In 72, after 72, they got really ugly. So if I were to move my camera, there but it is. yeah, I do, I do like to tinker with cars. <laughs> like looks like you do your fair share of it. Well, if they take away anything from the uh, the podcast today, audience, it's seventy one, not seventy three. So <laughs> no, so so Matt, uh, brother in arms. Uh, I've only had one other military man on the show in the past, and you both are in great company with one another. But how the hell did uh, your military life in the trenches turn into life as an entrepreneur in the dirt? Yeah, I, I even hate to say that I have a military background because I was in the Illinois National Guard um, and trained in Fort Benning, Georgia as a, a young guy. They did a split up training. Um, so my junior year in high school, I got to go to basic training uh, for the summer while everybody uh, when I got back. Right. I had my head shaved and everybody laughed at me. But the. Um, uh, then my senior year, I followed up with advanced infantry training, and I quickly realized the military, um, you know, probably I was not cut out for it. I was a pretty independent thinker from an early age. And, you know, um, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And, and my, my love has really just been around technology the last 20 years. Um, and I think maybe it's because my upbringing and the ability to problem solve um, you know, has given us, uh, you know, the platform for, you know, doing that on the cloud. And, and that's what the internet's become. It's, uh, you know, it's really, there's just a, it's solution and disruption, disruption after solution and disruption. And I've been able to take advantage of that. I've been blessed with, uh, great people around me. I mean, you know, when you, when I hear people say, you know, I've done this and I've done that, let me tell you something. There's very few things I've done other than have a good imagination and you know attract good people around me to help me get that journey done you've you've founded quite a few tech companies companies over the years right over you know the last 25 years what's uh any horror stories that that come along with any of those 
any horror stories, man, I got, yeah, let me get, I've got a roll that's about 600 <laughs> feet. Um, and it's printed on a big, thick laminate sheet, um, uh, because I never wanted to lose that data. Um, I didn't want it deleted from the cloud, but, um, one, I guess one funny horror story is, and maybe the most, um, you know, the thing that I most remember and we joke about uh, from the old days is ending up on the 40 year old virgin. Um, because we had the eBay stores early on and that was a fun business. It was uh, the, the original transaction uh, where you could take things to those physical eBay stores. We kind of invented that business. We were the eBay outpost until I got a cease and desist from eBay, um, which wasn't nearly as bad as people making fun of me because of the boot scene of our Fresno, California store going, I just want to buy the boots. So um, you know, there's all kinds of real horror stories in the trenches. Uh, my mentor used to say it's in business. It's not a matter of if bad things happen, it's when they happen, but it's really how you react to them and back to the team. If you've got the right team around you, I've never felt like there was something that we couldn't overcome. And we've been through some crazy things. Uh, you know, we woke up to when Craigslist started charging fees on that lot vantage platform, the company that I sold last year. Uh, you know, when 40% of your revenue goes, goes away overnight uh, and, you, and you've got a, a staff in place that, that supports a business, uh, you know, as a CEO, you're faced with crazy decisions. And those are the horror stories. Um, and, and we never laid a person off, you know, during that whole bit of turmoil. We fought our way out of it and we found ourselves having to solve a problem within 10 days notice to make a transaction happen. And let me tell you something, I had developers and people that could have gotten other jobs, probably maybe even that paid more money. We were, you know, we were a, we were a small company. Um, so like, I got to pay homage to that, but those are, those are some, that, that's some scary shit that happens. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Did you get to at least kick it with Steve Carell during the, uh, 40 year old version days? <laughs> I never made the movie, thank God, but it was uh, maybe it would have been less embarrassing if I had some goofy scene and <laughs> been being the guy going, oh, yeah, like the 40 year old virgin boots store. And I'm like, well, kind of. So, yeah, but that, that was a fun business. Nice. Nice. So, um, you know, a few few exits, obviously, um, you know, some great companies, but now you're doing some pretty incredible things at Thumbstopper in the in the MarTech sector or marketing tech sector, which is. Yeah. booming in general in the industry and, and the company too. What yeah. what led you into that sector and, and how are you carving out your niche niche there? Yeah, it's uh you know, you try to take the short journey home, especially on a podcast um, where we've got a limited amount of time. But, you know, 15 years of being in the auto space and having an application that dealers could use and leverage, uh, you know, we would extract their inventory, you know, from a source. Um, all the cars and trucks or uh, farm equipment or power sports or marine or RV or trailers or golf carts, um, anything with a motors as eBay refers to it, eBay motors. If you were a dealership in the motor space, we could take your inventory and we, we could take it across all these platforms that were a pain. I mentioned Craigslist. That was a pain if you were managing hundreds of things. And then if you were in California where they require you to take the inventory down that's sold, um, you know, you needed an application and, and we filled that void. Um, and, and we did very well in that space. The, uh, and something started to change around 2016, 2017. And, and I had downplayed social media uh, in a big way. As a matter of fact, people had asked me, how are we going to start leveraging social media? And I used to say, I'm not interested. You know, you, you focus right as a business. 
And, and small businesses, I didn't feel had a presence. Just like, um, you know, back in the early 2000s, you were convincing small businesses they needed a website. That's a weird thing to hear today, right? Is that we were not too long ago, we were convincing businesses they needed a website. Well, a few years ago, I was convincing businesses they needed a, a Facebook landing page, right? For their business, a business profile page at the time, um, and now a fan page, uh, you know, and the we saw... Um, a void between, we were serving retailers one-off. So we had, um, I think uh, at our height, 8,700 retailers on the platform. Um, and that's a tough business, serving the retailer direct. Um, we were serving retailers, we were serving up this inventory, and we started connecting to the business pages of these retailers and serving that inventory right to the, to the wall. Um, and then of course comes along uh, Facebook Marketplace. But that was the birth of uh, Thumbstopper, uh, which is a social media company today that takes organic content for the brand that has independent retail networks. Um, and we take that organic content and we take it to those fan pages like the Facebook wall, Instagram, uh, now Google business profile or the Google business uh, overview that you get within a 25 mile radius. Google's becoming a social media destination after failing miserably at Google Plus and Circles. If you're old enough, you know, watching this podcast, it's all young people probably that watch your podcast because you're so cool. So cool. (laughs) But that's where Thumbstopper was really born. It's filling the void and it has. It's like you said, we picked we've picked a a good void to fill. It's exciting. It's fun. Uh, Social media has obviously uh, been a real thing over the last couple of years with COVID. I mean, the amount of hours that are spent and the uh, the amount of tension uh, that is garnered, the amount of marketing spend that is moved uh, into social media, the amount of new platforms that have popped up over the last couple of years out of nowhere, international platforms that are huge and, you know, giving us opportunities. But it's we're having a good time with this one. Obviously, uh, you know some things about this because we hired Work at Black (laughs) and come in and and do some, uh, you know, evaluation and some things. that uh, really tightened us up um, and and gave us a programmatic approach to this revenue machine that we're on. Well, thanks thanks for the call out, Matt. But so just to you know to repeat what you said. So whether I'm a dealer, which is where you started out, or another major brand with independent retailers, and I want to amplify my content through all of the, the my retailers' social media and search destinations at the local level. I can use Thumbstopper to push this through Facebook or Instagram or Google or you know, multiple platforms pretty seamlessly. Yeah, I said a lot, right? And that's a lot too, but it's real simple. Um, there are retailers, right, that we go buy things from and they have things on the shelves and they deliver things and they have products and services. All we do is take the information from that manufacturer brand and put that content on the wall of those retailers which is really what Facebook and a lot of these social media like because it's a localized presence. And if you can imagine seeing something from Nike, right? And you click on it and you end up at Nike's headquarters versus the local retailer that might sell Nike, you could see the benefit, um, you know, to the consumer and also to the local business having that content and presence. And then ultimately the benefit to the brand because that's what they need. They need uh, you know, exposure of the brand, the internet, you know, these small uh, new pop-ups have put a put a, a, a real, um, you know, point of pressure on some of these Fortune 500 type brands. 
Um, and, and, and these brands sometimes are just learning how to leverage social media um, and they haven't been as nimble. So, you know, Thumbstopper, I think, is doing a really nice job of connecting brands to their retailer's social presence, I think is the easiest way to put it. Yeah. And today you guys are killing it on all things growth. And you mentioned programmatic approach, right? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. what, what's your secret to success and were things always as great as they are now? Um, secret to success, um, man, I don't know. We've been so nimble around this space and there's so many changes. I think this, the secret to success of what's happening is we're starting to feel the wrath of, I guess, being right and being in a good space and hiring good people and consultants, um, to kind of build this programmatic approach. But, uh, you know, we're starting to sense that brands have, have not only, um, uh, come alive on how important it is to be at the retail level on the social side. The amount of traffic that's that's happening right now. If you Google a business, chances are you're going to land on their Facebook fan page. I mean, you know, that's the whole Google business profile trying to keep you encapsulated there and give you some of that social content and deliver that. And I think that's a wonderful thing uh, for Google to do. And we're excited about this new new organic product in, in the on the Google side because it opens up the search avenue and. You know, there's chances that, you know, people are using Google right now. And they don't have running water in their home. So, you know, nobody needs to really sell, uh, you know, how much attention or traffic's there. And the brands are just starting to leverage that. Any things in particular that really paved, paved the way, um, you know, any adverse, any adversity that you had to overcome, whether COVID related or otherwise, that that helped re- reset you guys for this growth? Anything specific? There's so many things. And then I would plug you and then you're going to blush and you're going to say, thanks for the plug again. But the, um, you know, you know, I divide the company into really two pieces and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of an Elon fanboy and I know that'll get me in trouble because, you know, you know, all the things that he says that are outrageous, but, um, we're all going to live on Mars anyway. (laughs) We're all going to live on Mars anyway. Right. The, um, you know, to me, I'm fo- hyper-focused on the product because it doesn't really matter how well you grease um, the engine on revenue and marketing. And we've done a remarkable job on that. We've got an amazing team. We've added seven new brands in, you know, the last two months. The biggest problem I have now is how to connect these extra 10,000 retailers on brands coming into the program. Um, you know, but you know, not enough people focus on really that's the whole delivery. If the product's doing exactly what the brand expects it to do, the ROI is going to be there. Um, and being able to leverage these social media networks is is just really opened up a, a big opportunity, not just for Thumbstopper, but for the brands that continue to connect to the retailers because it's, it's the audience that's following the local level. It's the and, and more importantly, these independent retailers typically sell seven or eight competitive products. So you might be grabbing the audience of your competitor, and that's where you can't afford as a brand to miss it, right? You, there are so, you've got just a few seconds. Where did we come up with the name Thumbstopper? What stops someone's thumb? I mean, there is so much content just on and on and on and on in front of you. And then it's the text and the ring. And how many times do you forget to go, where was I, right? even in the amount of data that's flowing. And now the metaverse and the things that are opening up. But the, uh, you know, it's exciting. I, like I'm really passionate about the product side of it. Uh, you know, the revenue uh, engine, uh, Orchid Black, again, I mean, we, you guys brought in an amazing team, amazing group of resources. You found so many things that we were doing wrong that I told you that it humbled me. 
um, because I had no idea. And for years, um, you know, the marketing side and the and the and the sales side being split off, there were just some fundamental pivots that we made. If we're back on revenue, you know, and I'm obsessed about product, but we're if we're back on what's really happening is good timing. But it doesn't really matter how good your timing is if your processes you know, outbound and, 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 and learning the data and what's being responded to. Um, and then whether you're getting your point across. And that's, I think that's the biggest problem we had is we were lost on a couple things. Who was our ideal customer profile? Who did we serve the best? It came around to what we originally thought it was, but it really honed in on how we targeted, who we targeted, and the pragmatic approach to kind of, you know, that revolves around the retargeting of that and trying things that aren't working and, and the responsiveness. But, um, you know, I could go all across the board back and forth about how both of those things really need to be in unison. Sure, sure. You uh, you breezed past Metaverse, right, in, in one of your comments. Um, and, and so, you know, the, obviously Metaverse is something that's being talked about widely, Web3, right, crypto, all, all things around you know, the technologies that are driving this uh, additional opportunity beyond this universe, right? Um, is our brands thinking about and 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 uh, keeping in mind from what you've seen and in, in the brands that you've talked to, uh, this thing that we call the metaverse, this alternate universe? <laughs> oh, I don't think anybody cannot be paying attention to the metaverse. And I'm really excited about it. The um, The ability to um, you know, when I get off here, maybe I'll go walk on the space station, the ability to, um, you know, go play virtual poker with your friends, look at their avatars, stay home with your family and still enjoy some of the conveniences, the ability to go see the great pyramids, you know, if you're a single woman, right. And, and, and it's not a thing that you could just go travel alone in certain parts of the world, the ability to, um, you know, ready player one yourself. Um, it is just an amazing thing that's going that's going to happen um, rather quickly, and I, th I think the critics out there around the metaverse are wrong, um, and, and I think that it is happening. I think it's an extension of the internet. I think it's just you know one depth um, deeper into being able to interact. I mean, here we are today. Look at us. We're on a podcast. I'm in my home garage office. You're in your home office. I take it, or maybe the corporate office. But it, it's like, you know, being able to interact in the metaverse has me so excited. And yes, I think the brands are talking about it. As a matter of fact, I'm talking to a few brands about it. The placement of organic content into the video game atmosphere, the placement of organic content with Caldwell Bankers, uh, excuse me, agents having meetings in the metaverse showing organic content on the walls. I think it's going to change a lot of things quickly. Well, just reading in between the lines, sounds like there might be a product roadmap connection to <laughs> the way that you're thinking about the metaverse. Um, very, very cool. Very cool. Um, so today you guys are are killing it on all things growth, right? We talked about that um, and we talked about, you know, all the great stuff. Are there any, are there any like big pain points that people can learn from or obstacles that particular obstacles that you had to overcome that, that got you to where you're at today? Uh, me personally, you as a founder or you as a company, either. There are so many. I mean, um, it's really tough to talk about uh, because it depends on what stage you're in, right? I, I look at so many mistakes we made, and you know, I, I think sometimes I'm I'm hard on myself and maybe some of my team. 
and, and it really depends on the resources you have, um, you know, and how far you want to go with your own resources. Um, because a lot of times there isn't time for planning. A lot of times there isn't time for the amount of meetings and gathering and info sessions that you need to have. So depending on the stage of the company you're talking about today, I feel liberated from that because I now, you know, I've had a few things that have given me the resources that typically small companies don't have. And I think as you climb that chain and we hear these leaders talk about that, they forget what it's like to be in the dirt, you know, and that's why I told you, I love the name of that. And I never want to forget that. That's why I like to, to work on cars. That's why I like to, to go to North Carolina, as you know, and be on a tractor and, and like to just touch, touch the dirt, the basics that kind of resets me. Um, because it keeps me grounded or remembering some of these founders out here that are listening to advice and, and they're hearing that. So it depends on what level now, you know, kind of that mid range level of, you know, past needing resources and having resources, um, you know, that, that schematic changes and, and the answers would change. Right. Um, and I know that's not giving a direct answer, but it, it, it's really important. I think to look at kind of where, where we're at in the hemisphere of what business we're talking about. And, and then the hurdles remain different. The hurdles remain, you know, if you're in the basic dirt, sometimes how do I make payroll or I didn't get a big receivable or um, the thing that I could always point to, I guess, as an answer is make sure as a founder that you have somebody uh, that is, can be a mentor. Um, and I've been fortunate to have some good ones. Um, and uh, when I say good mentors, I'm talking about somebody that you're comfortable with, somebody who's loyal to you, somebody who can you know, just not even on the business side, but, you know, a lot of times personal conflicts over into that, right? I'm not spending enough time with my wife and children. Yeah. Those start to be tough measures to deal with when you're born with a true entrepreneurial spirit where it's why I love Dan Pena and he gets so much negative attention. You're going to have to miss a, you know, birthday once in a while, you yeah. know, something comes up if a software gets turned off. So I hear all these people talking about you know, being an entrepreneur, um, then I hear the other side of the flute talking about how business people are the bad guys. Um, you know, you have to be a, a, a lunatic uh, to sign up for this, to be honest with you. But the, the main thing that you need is you need sound advice and people. And so a lot of people don't get that from home because the spouse doesn't know, you know, what they're dealing with or whatever. So it's, it's, it's typically not a spouse, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've learned to kind of separate that so I can go home and at least put on a smile, but get help, get mentoring, find people who are successful. doesn't mean you have to go spend your whole life being every part of every rotary group. Uh, it's a, that's the last thing that I would do is be running around, you know, uh, you know, networking all day long. I don't know how people get things done, but finding through your network and finding people you can trust. If you have people that love you, they'll help you find mentors. Yeah, no, that's that's uh that's sound sound advice. And you know, in your growth stage, right, your 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 growth stage business today, right? Um, obviously brings its own set of challenges, namely talent, like bringing on bringing on great talent, and especially in today's climate, the great resignation, if you will, which probably should be called not so great resignation. Now that I'm saying it out loud, but you know, uh, what what are what are you doing talent-wise to make Thumbstopper the best place that it can be? And not to give you a call out, but I was on Glassdoor earlier and saw how great of a ratings you have. So I've got an idea of some of the things that that your team is saying about you. But what, 
Like what what do you think is what makes Thumbstopper such a great place to work and and things that you're doing to make sure talent is attracted to you guys? Man, it's so hard. It seems so cliche to talk about culture. And I told my team this the other day, the culture is just the people. Um, And what do we try to do when we attract people? Um, And I want to, you know, I want to touch on the great resignation. At first, it irritated me. Um, And then I realized there's some good movement that's going on because there are, um, you know, in a lot of cases, people that maybe needed to be compensated differently or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I I think those are great momentum moves. Um, But this whole thing about the expectation of, uh, um, you know, equity. Um, is one that could be damaging long term uh, if we don't get off of this notion that um, you know we're not you know you're not deserving of anything really and, and you're probably going to have to put in hard work um, and hard work sometimes involves more than dancing and crying yeah I mean um, you know but to get off of that subject how you know why is Thumbstopper a good place because it's inclusive of everything it's inclusive of you know we're really we're looking at the foundation of trying to fill uh, roles uh, with individuals that have certain um, characteristics. Um, we're not looking at the top line of education anymore, really. We're um, you know, doing things what, where we're grilling through and identifying people that are good problem solvers. Um, and I heard Elon talking the other day, would we even interview uh, Nikolai Tesla? He said he didn't think so. So, you know, I think the culture, you know, kind of starts with how you identify people and then and then you let the team go through a process of making sure that they fit a lot of molds. So do they fit a cultural mold? Do they have, um, you know, um, just just good ethics as people, good commonsensical skills? Um, You know, if we're trying to, you know, find a definitive role that's a specialist, obviously it becomes something that it becomes higher tier on on what we're looking at. But I think the culture of Thumbstopper is amazing and it's the most amazing team that I've worked with. And I'm going to I'm going to get some hate from that from some of the former companies because I've worked with some great teams. But the um, you know, this team at Thumbstopper has been assembled in a way um, that has just come together through a time that was very difficult, right? Because COVID, there wasn't anybody who hasn't been affected by it. Um, and it, it companies that haven't been affected by it. Um, and, and we were one of them. I mean, going remote was a big deal. Um, it's turned into a wonderful thing for a technology company for a number of reasons, um, more importantly for the people. So being able to be a CEO that was like, I was irritated by the flex. I, you know, I, I will admit, I, you know, I thought, you know, you have to be in person to be hundred percent productive. And I forget the balance of things that could get done on a personal level. Um, I mean, look how much more productive I am. The GTR is amazing looking right now, right? Not a spec. No, I'm kidding. Incredible. The, uh, <laughs> we're doing a video uh, sequence up in Slack with the, you know, how much more productive we are remote and then the things we get done personally. And we actually think it's kind of funny, but the culture is amazing. The people are amazing. Um, what are we trying to do to attract, you know, good talent? That is the hardest thing to do right now. I've been through recruiting agencies and, and it's a tough thing to do right now. And, and we, look, we, we look at a lot of candidates um, and I'm amazed um, um, you know, how hard it is to attract and retain talent. And we've done a pretty good job. I mean, I, we, we've got above average scores, high above average scores in almost every facet. Um, and, and we've done some things by bringing in some outside people to evaluate that. We've done some things to where we've 
um, you know, taking polls. Um, and, and I know that sounds cliche as well, but we're really trying to get the feedback. And that's where we landed on two flex days for everyone. Yeah. I mean, unlimited uh, paid time off. No questions asked. If you need something, if you're sick, if you if you've got a child that, that needs attended to, if your dog uh, nails, you know, need done because you've got a bougie dog like I do named Cookie, um, <laughs> you know, that's something that you could get done. So giving people the flexibility to be happy, pay them the money, give them the benefits. You know, they don't need special sandboxes and pizza parties and, you know, virtual happy hours. I, you know, those things are, you know, can be great. But, uh, you know. It, it, you know, culture forms itself. I think they don't, they don't build the culture. They come out of the culture that's been built. That's right. It's cohesiveness. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's wise, wise words. The, um, so we actually recently published a, a white paper on, um, finding the right COO. And I stole a quote from, from your COO who used to be on our team at Orchid Black. And I know that that's been, um, really, really great in finding your compliment and something that a lot of CEOs and founders struggle is finding that that complement to the visionary, right? Like somebody that really knows their stuff, but can um, really help to also make the CEO and founder even even more valuable than than they've been in the past, so they don't have to worry about everything, right? Um, yeah. Any um, any insight there that that founders can learn from on your journey and kind of finding the right COO? Uh, don't be a sociopath. <laughs> right. You, you've got to be able to, um, you know, and CEOs struggle with that. Right. Because we have to carry the torch every day and be an optimist. We have to carry the torch every day. And, um, you know, we have bad days, too. And nobody says, hey, you're having a bad day. Um, and I'm not playing a pity party. But really, you know, my point is, is that you've got to be able to identify your weaknesses. Um, and that and that was one of the humbling things that happened um, is that when you go through kind of like a, a value creation assessment, as some some people call it in the marketplace, the um, you find out some things about your business, which then tell you some things about you as a CEO. You know, these people don't tell you that, but that you know. So you, in order to find a good COO um, uh, or a, or a, or a partner, as I like to refer to my COO, um, Michelle's been a blessing. Um, she has. Uh, transformed a lot of things. Um, and the only thing she did was really fill in the gaps of all the things that I'm weak at. And that list is much longer than the things that I'm good at. And it took me a long time to realize that, um, you know, I've got a few gifts, but I've got a lot of weaknesses and, and CEOs have to be able to fill that and fill it as fast as you can is I would, that would probably be the one thing I'd rewind the podcast and insert this in. You know, what is one, you know, when we were on the subject of, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, getting over hurdles and bad things happening in business, uh, the sooner you could find the person that could plug your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't met any perfect people um, and, and maybe they're out there. Um, but as soon as you can plug to the weaknesses, you will be so much farther down the road so fast, you know, so much more, so much faster, <laughs> excuse me that that you know the identification is not about the coo it's the identification of the weaknesses of the ceo that's going to tell you the type of ceo that you're looking for because they're all geared different they're all some are revenue focused some are operational focused more than more than not now i happen to find a unicorn i did find the one perfect person or close like well we'll talk about the flaws (laughs) after the show she didn't have very many 
<laughs> no, nice, nice. Yeah, I mean that that's that's it, right? Like be vulnerable to notice that you've got weaknesses. Admit what those weaknesses are to yourself first, and then find someone to find someone to to make you a better version of yourself. Plug your weaknesses and leverage their strengths. I mean, oh my God, yeah. I mean, that is that's simple. That, that there, there's the whole show. Snippet that out, <laughs> and that'd be if you're looking to you know help founders. I think that the earlier you can find that that plug in the weaknesses that that operating officer or partner, um, the better. Well, we'll uh, we'll make sure to plug that white paper which your CEO contributed to in the uh, in the notes for the show notes as well. Um, nice. So you know, on the, on that note of of getting attention, right? Um, and uh, obviously, the growth has been there for you guys, and you've been getting a lot of attention from prospective buyers in the market. Um, first off, congrats. Uh, second off, uh, with all I know about the company, about Thumbstopper, I'm not surprised. I'd probably be suiting you too if I had the money to do so. <laughs> uh, but what what is it about Thumbstopper that these prospective buyers love so much? First of all, it's my least favorite thing to do as a transaction. And any person that's been through one would know what I'm talking about there. It, it just, um, the biggest thing that happens is you get distracted from the business, but why are they, why are they interested in Thumbstopper? Um, it's like I told somebody recently, um, there's a few companies that have raised a significant amount of capital, uh, that are our competitors. Um, and we have not, um, yeah. And, um, I was particularly nervous about that when I learned that a few years ago. But then I, I got this comfort that settled over me and I said, man, I'm in the right space, right? Because that's smart money. You know, the private equity, the VC dollars that come in, that's, that, you know, typically really you know, smart money that's entering, you know, kind of these verticals and, and, and new environments. Um, but why are they interested in Thumbstopper? I think we have a wonderful brand. I think, you know, so just at its surface, right? It's a beautiful car. Um, and, and I think we have a wonderful team. I think we're in the right space. I think we have the best technology on the market when you're focused on organic connections for brands and independent retailers. Um, and I think our competitors are good companies too. Um, they are uh, a little bit wider than we are on net, um, the types of products they sell. Um, some of them yet don't make sense to me. Um, however, um, I, you know, what is the attraction of Thumbstop, right? I, you know, we just, you know, I think if you looked underneath the hood, then you would see the percentage of revenue growth. You'd see all the right things on the CAC score and you'd see all the right indications that our pipeline is bursting at the seams and we're getting deals across the line in 30 days. Some of them used to take 18 months. I've got a, you know, we got a deal that came in, it took two years. Um, so being able to, um, you know, fine tune our message, fine tune our product. And we've got a lot of work to do. I mean, it, it you know, when you invent or you help invent a marketplace, um, there are no rules. And so, um, you know, the technology stack demand is, is, is fun uh, with the, the new social networks that are starting up. The timeline changes all the time because things heat up like, you know, you see the Snoop Dogg commercial and he's in the metaverse. So, and, and, it, and it reiterates, oh my God, like, you know, our brands going to the metaverse. I don't know. Is Snoop a brand, right? <laughs> He's figured yeah. out a way to capitalize already on that. Um, so say, they don't, they only know about your success in this universe. They don't even know about the success yeah, in the metaverse. Yeah. Yet. I mean, you, you, gotta, <laughs> you, you gotta see the, I, it's, I got a purple whip in the metaverse. 
just crossing paths with with Elon on interstellar travel yeah, and building rockets is. to Mars and <laughs> yeah. yeah, I lined up against his uh whole thing with getting to Mars by 2024 and I uh, you know that date's been adjusted on his part so he already lost the bet but I bet that we would get to a certain point in SAS and you can remember that was my theme almost like around the Pangea Ultima, but when he said he was going to Mars in 36 months because it's a six month shot when the planets align every two years, that was an interesting thing to kind of mark us up against. And so Elon, if you're listening to this, you lost the bet because you moved your date 18 months. He's definitely listening. He's no, definitely. no question. <laughs> He's definitely listening. All right. He's so so, uh, you know, right now in the show, we, we do a, a series of five rapid fire Q&A in, in under a minute. We call it the Founder Five. Um, yeah. And it's a moment for me to pretend that I'm family feud legend Steve Harvey and okay. uh, <laughs> a, a moment for you to be able to, to do some quick answers on some questions to get to know you better. So, um, number one, what's the top metric or measure that you're relentlessly focused on? Um, there's two one I'm forced to be and one I love to be. <laughs> the first is probably just top bracket. Um, without revenue, there's nothing else, right? Uh, so revenue um, and, and kind of lined up with, um, you know, uh, customer excellence, as you will, as we call it internally, uh, the metrics around that, you know, high level. But the really the, one, the metrics that I'm focused on is a CEO, and, and this is what I wholeheartedly believe, um, another Elon thing, right, is every day make the product better. Um, and though, you know, we're really starting to hone in on the amount of, um, you know, bugs that might come out of a system. If you want to talk about the bad things being uh, minimalized and being able to uh, track that, because that is, that is very irritating when things go wrong on the software. And I'm somewhat obsessed about that. But at the high level, the amount of new products that we can put out that are successfully connected and generating impressions and giving brands value that's where i'm hyper focused is on the um kind of the study of these places and formats that we can get a brand's content connected at the local level level to the retailer i mean that that's my hyper focus but i'm but i'm forced to focus on metrics <laughs> around um you know revenue because i have shareholders and with that becomes a, a responsibility sure sure so product excellence and and revenue growth that's great. Yeah. And we're not public. And I even gave that, you know, yeah, they, you know, there you go. Don't drop any numbers though. Too big, too big to talk about. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, right. So, all right. Top tip for growth stage founders like you get, it, you know, you hear it all the time, but it, it's so true and it needs to be pounded home. Um, get as far as you can, um, get as far as you can with your own resources. Uh, you don't realize the amount of uh, responsibility that comes uh, with taking money um, and some of the distraction that, that it takes to raise it. Um, mm. And, you know, focus on that business, get as far as you can, um, because you never know whether you'll be able to poke through it and not need the money. And so, like, um, who was it that said, you know, wealth is made after 5 p.m.? I see a lot of these young entrepreneurs and I'm trying to do uh, some mentoring for a, a few people uh, that are young people. And I tell them all the time, you know, I'm like, I, I saw your status update. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to tell you how you live your life, but you know um, it's going to be hard to drive to the point you want to drive and ask people for money. Uh, if it's six o'clock 
um, you know, you've hung it up and it, it just doesn't help. So get as far as you can, work as hard as you can, grind, grind, grind. All right. Favorite, favorite book or podcast that's been a big part of your growth journey? I see so many uh, books, but I only get seven pages deep and then I think about something else. Um, <laughs> Uh, podcasts, those are easy. Um, Dan Pena, I brought him up earlier. That's going to give me a lot of slack, but he's saying things I think need to be say, said, if, especially if you're an entrepreneur. If if you're offended easily, stay away from him. Um, and then on the opposite spectrum, Vaynerchuk, man, uh, just a shout out. Like, you know, we did a, um, you know, we're part of the mentor program because of his positivity. And, you know, you need that in your life is the optimism, uh, continual optimism. So I'm more of a podcast guy than sitting down and reading a book guy. Um, And I especially like when it's just, you know, um, somewhat light and delivered in real time. And that's what I think Pena and Vayner give you on the opposite spectrums as a founder. That's great. That's great. Um, What actor would play you in a movie or I guess actress, if you prefer? (laughs) Who do I have a man crush on or what? uh actress or who, actor would play me who would play you i mean yeah do the man crush too what the hell who would play me i mean i want it like there's so many like it depends on like what kind of movie is it an action movie am, am i a serial killer um let's go I... with gross stage founder building building a kick-ass business <laughs> oh okay um who did the uh, uh who was the uh east down bound and down Oh yeah! Oh my god! I forget. I thought you were gonna say Rip from Kenny, Kenny, pa- Kenny, Kenny Powers, whoever that guy was. Yeah, Kenny Powers. Yeah, that's. I good. could be. I could right now be living the life of a derelict, and instead I choose this. Yeah, there you go. The uh, uh, no actor, probably. You know, I I don't know. Uh, I just love Leo. I mean, I think he does such a great job. Yeah. Nice. Nice. My right, last one. Uh, what is going to be the title of your autobiography? Safe for a podcast. Safe for this podcast. This is the dirt, yeah. though, so don't don't feel like you got to hide too much. It would probably be titled "You Can Be Anything You Want, Even Yourself." Hmm. Love that vulnerability. Yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 key. That's great. So, so you've uh, you've given so much to our listeners today, Matt. Um, time for just a little bit of self promotion, if you will. How can yeah. how can anyone listening help you and the rest of the Thumbstopper <laughs> team? Love for you to tune in and just follow us more than anything, um, you know, obviously on our social media channels. So if you uh, just search Thumbstopper on any of the channels, um, you know, we've got pretty decent uh, updates about products and services. Um, how could we be helped if you could think of a brand? Uh, you end up on a retailer page and you don't see that brand on social media. Um, you know, let the retailer know that Thumbstopper is a solution uh, that'll fix that. Uh, there's nothing for the retailer to do. It's something we didn't cover. So it's hands off, you know, most of the, for most part for the retailer, if they want to be, and for the brand, it, it, it kind of works the same way. Um, so promote us. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And, and how can listeners get in touch with you? Um, 813-555-1212 or, um, follow me on my Instagram. Um, you can follow up my podcast, Brown on Brand, although we've had that, uh, we need to knock the dust off of it because of everything that we've got going on. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously through the Thumbstopper social media portals. You could also email me anytime at mbrown at thatsus.com. All right. We'll get that information added to the, to the show notes and everything. And 
that's the end of the show. So thanks, thanks again Thank for joining me in and uh, on and everything in between the dirt, Matt. <laughs> hey, man, it. it's been an honor. Thanks for having me as a guest, Jim. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, man. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt. <laughs>